And with that in mind, I'm also very, very excited to introduce to all of you a brand new series that we're doing here at Thrive Church starting today and throughout the summer. The name of the series is called Faith Journey. Everyone say Faith Journey. Does that sound a bit like a summer blockbuster movie to you? Faith Journey? Well, this is going to be a blockbuster series for us as we go through week after week into the summer talking about Faith Journey. Why do we call the series Faith Journey? It's because, listen up, the reason why we call it Faith Journey is because we believe that every single person here is on a faith journey. That every single one of us here is, whether you're religious or not, whether you consider yourself a churchgoer or a Christian, a follower of Jesus or not, that every single one of us in some way is on a faith journey. And part of that faith journey is you're trying to figure out your next step, whether it's in your career or it's in your relationships or some other aspect of your future that's concerning you right now, that each one of us in some way is trying to figure out that next step that we need to take. That is called our faith journey. And I don't know about you, but I find that a faith journey can be a little bit challenging and scary sometimes because of two reasons. The first reason why it can be a little bit complicated and scary sometimes is because we know that our choices matter. Turn your and say, your choices matter. In other words, when you're on this faith journey, it's not like you're sitting in the back of a bus and you're sitting in the back seat and someone else is driving you and you have no say on where to go and you're just being driven along for the ride. No, that's not how faith journeys work. Is The fact is that your choices matter. In fact, your choices will very much determine your destiny. Your choices will determine whether that ride on that faith journey is smooth or it's bumpy. Your, your choices are going to determine if you get to where you're meant to be or maybe you veer off and you detour, you get distracted and you end up in a ditch, our choices will very much dictate where we end up. And because of that, there's maybe some pressure that you feel. Because of that, maybe there's a responsibility that you feel on your shoulders that you don't want to make the wrong choice. That's one of the reasons why a faith journey can be a bit complicated. There's a second reason why a faith journey can be complicated. When you're trying to figure out the next step of your life is that it can be complicated because there's uncertainty. Everyone say uncertainty. It's because you don't see everything that's up ahead. It's kind of like this. It's that, it's that, you know, no matter how much research you do, no matter how much you pray, no matter who you consult, no matter how much due diligence you do on that decision, at the end of the day, you can't guarantee anything or everything. At the end of the day, there's still this gap that can only be bridged by taking a step of faith. And that's where faith comes in. There's an element of risk in any decision you make. And so the question is, how do you take steps and how do you make decisions that will take you to where you're meant to be and not where you're not meant to be? That's what we're talking about in this series called Faith Journey. Turn neighbor and say, it's been a journey. It's been a journey, and it will be a journey. This is what we call faith journey. Are you guys ready for faith journey? Let's go into this journey together right now. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 19. You know, and we're going to be uh, doing something kind of different neat today. Uh, I, I'm going to make this, this opportunity to be a chance to be even more biblical than we usually are. Jesus uh, it says that when Jesus preached, he would sit down while the crowd would stand. And so can I ask you to do that right now? I'm going to sit because of obvious reasons, because my foot. Can I ask you all to stand in reverence to God's word? And we're going to read the word of God together. Would you help me preach here this morning? There are so many things that I want to teach you from this passage this morning that we simply don't have, don't, have, don't have time for. And so listen up to this. As you read this passage, can I ask you, as we read this passage the first and only time together, would you read it with an open heart? 
And as, you, as you're asking, as, as you're reading it, would you read it even with a prayerful heart? And just wonder and ask God, God, what verse do you want to highlight for me? Because I believe there may be one for you that we, we might want to not even touch on today. But this is a powerful passage, and I believe that if you read it with an open heart, there's going to be maybe one or two verses that strike you that maybe Holy Spirit wants to touch on with you. And I might not even talk about it today. So with that in mind, let's read this in a big, loud voice. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 19. Read it with me in a big, loud voice right now. It says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Would you re read with me verse 12 one more time? Verse 12. And uh, read, read it with me. You guys are awesome. Read it with me on, on the count three. One, two, three. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Before you take your seat, would you give your neighbor a high five? And as you're high five them with a smile on your face, would you tell them the title to today's message, which is, there's a fight in you. Tell them that right now. There's a fight in you. The fight in you. Please have your seats. You know, in this passage we just read, you got a guy called Paul who was a church planner. He's a Christian missionary. He used to be the most anti-Christian in the world, anti-Christian person in the world, but then he had an encounter with Jesus. It changed his life around. He became a missionary, a church planner. He ends up mentoring a lot of younger leaders in the faith. One of them is a guy called Timothy. And he writes to this disciple of his called Timothy, who's now pastoring a church in the city of Ephesus. And there in this letter called First Timothy, a part of which we just read, he writes a number of things, a number of pieces of advice for this young pastor, Timothy. One of the things he says in verse 12 is, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. If you look at that verse, I want, just, I want to start with the end in mind today. I want you to look at the back end of that verse right now. What does it say? It says, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What good confession is Paul talking about? See, what's Paul talking about here? What good confession did Timothy make? Let me tell you what good confession he made. See, when Paul was, was discipling Timothy, one of the first things that Timothy did when he received Jesus Christ into his life was he got baptized. Everyone say baptized. Is that as an expression, as a confession of his faith in Jesus, he got baptized, he got dunked into water. It's a three-second thing. You go in, you come out, and it's simply 
it, it affirms that you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again from the grave, Timothy got baptized. And see, Paul points to Timothy's baptism as the beginning of his relationship with God. And so it just goes to show that, gra- that baptism is not some graduation where you have to wait until you've been a Christian for a very, very long time before you get baptized. Baptism is not something where you have to you know, know the Bible backwards and forwards or have no more questions before you get baptized. Baptism is a beginning. Everyone say a beginning. And what baptism does is it does two very powerful things. Before I tell you what those two very powerful things are, I mean, let me ask you this question. Have you been baptized? If you haven't been baptized, then I believe if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your next step is to get baptized. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion that Jesus gives. It's a command that Jesus gives. And I want to encourage you to do that, to get baptized. Why? It's because two things happen when you get baptized. The first is you obey God's command. It's about obedience. And you're going to find this is that it's tough to experience the fullness of the life that God has for you when you know there's something God wants you to do and you're not doing it. You're going to find that there's this fear, this sense of guilt, the sense of shame, the sense of uncertainty in your life because there's something you know you need to do, but you're not doing it. And as a result, there's this fear in your life. And you can conquer that fear simply by getting baptized, by following God's command. Then The second thing that happens is this, is that when you get baptized, it not only is you obeying God's command, it's you clarifying your identity. Amen is that here's the thing, is that until you get baptized, you'll always be kind of wondering, oh, you know what, am I really saved? Am I really serious about this faith? Am I really, do I really call myself a Christian? If I really call myself a Christian, why am I not getting baptized? There's all these uncertainties, this struggle, this fight in you to kind of figure out are you really legit or not? Baptism proves it all. Baptism is like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to confess in the presence of many witnesses, I believe in Jesus. And when you do that, when you take that next step of faith and you get baptized, all of a sudden you're going to find there's a peace in your heart. All of a sudden you're going to find that there's a clarification to your identity. It's no longer I think I am, I'm not sure, I think I am, maybe I am, but all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I'm sure of who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven my sins. And are there still questions? Yeah, there's still questions. Are there still uncertainties? Yeah, there's still uncertainties. But when you get baptized, it clarifies clarifies your identity, and that way it clarifies your direction in life. Amen? And so if you're here and you're trying to figure out your life, and you think, you know what, I'm just not in baptism zone today, JV. I'm not thinking about baptism. I've got other things on my mind. I've got, you know, I've got school on my mind. I've got exams on my mind. I've got a career on my mind. I've got marriage on my mind. I've got you know, a diet on my mind. I've got all these things on my mind. You know, why should I be thinking about baptism? Let me tell you this. When you get baptized, it clarifies everything else that you need to do. It clarifies your direction about every other thing because it's the most important thing. Don't put exams in front of God's commands. Don't put exams in front of the very thing, the first thing that Jesus tells us to do when we trust in him, which is to get baptized. And so would you turn your neighbor and with a smile on your face, but also inquisitive look on your face, would you give him a high five and say, is baptism your next step? Can you tell them that right now? Is baptism your next step? If it is, if you're thinking that maybe it is, then we hope you'll join us for our baptism orientation that's happening next week on July 7th after our services. Now let's look at the beginning of verse 12. We started with the end. Let's look at the beginning. Look at verse 12. Read with me the first few words of that verse. One, two, three. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Would you underline that? Church, would you underline that? I encourage you to have your Bible in front of you and underline that. That's how we learn. Fight the good fight of the faith. You know, I find it interesting that Paul compares faith to a fight. You find that interesting? Is that, is that the first picture that comes to mind when you think of the word faith, it's, that it's a fight? Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. But what does that mean? When Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith, what does that mean? 
Well, let me tell you first what it does not mean. See, fight the good fight of the faith does not mean that you need to be and must become some very quarrelsome, argumentative person who's always picking fights with people and arguing with people about religion and arguing with people about faith and arguing about people in public about what you believe. You know, whenever I see Christians who are arguing in public, maybe it's in a restaurant, or it's in a bar, or it's online. They're arguing about some esoteric, tangential, minor point in the Bible, and they're not talking about you know core beliefs or core stuff about the gospel, about Jesus, but they're talking about you know, you know who's the beast in Revelation. Oh, I don't agree with you, and, and they go, they get really heated about those kind of things. Is that when I when I go that, I, I, whenever I see that online or in a restaurant, I'm like, oh man. And do you know why? It's because I can't help but think that from the perspective of people who have no idea who Jesus is, from the perspective of that waitress who's serving those arguing Christians, who has no idea who Jesus is, that she's watching them argue with one another and going, man, if Christians can't even agree on what they believe, why should I listen to them? Amen? And see, that's the thing, is that it's not that I, I'm against Bible study. I'm totally about Bible study. You know, I like a, a, you know, the, a good debate from time to time. I like discussing controversial topics from time to time. But, if it's, but, but let me tell you this. If you're a Christian and you want to debate another Christian about these kind of minor things, don't do it in the presence of someone who doesn't know Jesus. Amen? Do you know why? It's because you want to be wise in the way we present Jesus to this world. Because those things that you're going to be arguing about and debating about, they're not crucial to the gospel. The most important thing is Jesus came, he loved us, we blew it, he died on the cross for us, he rose again, and because of him, there is forgiveness and there's eternal life. Amen. Amen. That is the crux of the gospel. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand in this place right now. And that is what... This city needs to hear. That is what the person in the restaurant needs to hear. That's what people online who don't go to church need to hear, is that there's hope in Jesus. They don't need to hear about who you think the beast is. That's not the issue. And so please be wise in the way you interact with other Christians online. Be wise in the way you act with, interact with people in a, in a conversation. If they want to argue with you about those little things, say, hey, let's take this offline. Let's talk about this somewhere else. Let's talk about this in the car. Because we want to present Jesus as the hope, because he is the hope. We just don't want to distract people from that. Amen. So fight the good fight of the faith does not mean be this argumentative, quarrelsome person. You want to be someone who does something else. And what is that something else? Well, what does it mean to fight the good fight of the faith? Why don't you write this down? To fight the good fight of the faith means to go after everything that God made you for and to do it with faith. It's to go after everything that God made you for and to do it with faith. And, you know, that might include defending your faith from time to time. That will, of course, include sharing your faith from time to time. But it's more than that. It's not just about your words. It's not even just about your beliefs and the doctrines that you ascribe to. More than that, it's the life that God has called you to live. Jesus says, I have come that you may not just have doctrine. God didn't just come and say, I have come so you can have good teaching. He said, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And that's the, what, what it means to fight the good fight of the faith. It's about going after the entire life that God has for you. In fact, Paul puts it this way. If you read verse 12, it says, he says, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. In other words, don't settle for anything less than the life that God made for you to live. Don't settle for anything less than God's very best for you. Fight the good fight of the faith. Amen. You know, has, has faith ever felt like a fight for you? Has that ever felt like a fight for you, like a struggle for you? Or maybe you felt you feel like you're fighting something when it comes to your faith? Well, let me tell you this. Today, as we talk about faith journey, I want to share with you a couple stories from my faith journey. 
be pretty transparent with you about that faith journey. And times when I felt like faith was a fight. And after I share a couple stories with you, I'm going to share with you also some lessons that I've learned about living by faith that hopefully will help you as you try to figure out your next step in life as well. The first story concerns the way that I proposed to my wife, Charlene. Uh, and Pastor Shara, she uh, was uh, in our, 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 our 930 service earlier today, and, uh, and uh, I, I hope I didn't say anything uh, that was... That next, next time you can ask her her, uh, her point of view on it, but uh, the fact is this, is I, she said, yeah, that you're totally fine. And, and so let me tell you this, is, uh, you know, when, um, when, when I was growing up, I was always a bit of a romantic kind of guy. Um, you know, I always thought on the day that I proposed to my would-be wife, that it would be the most romantic surprise in the history of humankind. You know, I could see us walking barefoot on the sand by the beach. You know, I could see us all dressed in white. I don't know why white, but I just thought it would be all in white. You know, they will have a palm tree. I know where we'd find a palm tree in Vancouver, but there's a palm tree. And then, you know, hang on the palm tree, there's a guitar. And then you know, I, I, we stumble upon this palm tree. Oh, and I grab, I grab that guitar. I strap it around my shoulders. I, I start playing the song that I've written just for Charlene. After I sing that song with tears in her eyes, Charlene, she looks out into the ocean, and as she looks at the ocean, these three dolphins come and they swim up to the shore, and there they're staying, and they're just very tame and very calm, and I look at that, the middle dolphin, he's got t- tied to his beak a jewelry box, you know, I untie that jewelry box from that, that dolphin beak, I say, thank you, Flipper, I, I, I take that jewelry box, I kneel down on the sand, I open up that box, and I open up before Char, and I say, Charlene, would you make me the happiest person in the world? And would you marry me? And then she says, yes. And then at that moment, the dolphins are like, and the dolphins, they go back into the sea. They, they jump around. Fireworks are going off. You know, you have all her friends and family coming out from the bushes because they're just waiting for that surprise. I thought this would be the most romantic proposal ever. Doesn't that sound romantic? Some of you are like, that just sounds weird, man. Some are like, who do you think you are, Aquaman? You don't control the dolphins. But the fact is this. The fact is, I always thought of you know, having just a really romantic surprise with which to propose to Charlene. But the fact is this. If you know anything about our love story, you know that it was anything but that. Um, let me tell you what really happened. See, uh, Charlene and I, before we got married, we were dating for two and a half years. We did some of it long distance. And I can remember, for six months, I carried with me this jewelry box with an engagement ring. For six months. And deep down, I knew that this is the girl I wanted to marry. Deep down, I knew that this was the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. But despite that, for some reason, there was always this struggle in me. There was always this battle in me. There was always this fight in me where I wasn't really sure when to do it. And I was like, you know, what should I be waiting for before I do it? Like, how do I know when I'm ready to propose? How do I know when it's the right time? And there's this battle in me going, am I missing something? Am I doing something wrong? Am I making a mistake? Is this not meant to be? And I started to question myself, and there was this battle inside of me. For six months, I didn't open that box. For six months, I just carried it to different places, thinking, you know, should I do it? Should I not? I just really wasn't sure because of the fight in me. And, well, a few months later, in May of early 2000s, Charlene, she's graduating from university in Boston. That's where she went to school. And it was a big, big weekend. And so Charlene's parents, they fly in from Taiwan. They, 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 they reach Boston. And I fly in from Vancouver. I reach Boston as well. And I still remember that weekend like it was yesterday. I remember it was super hot. It was an outdoor ceremony. I remember all the students were in their, bl- their blue graduation gowns. Uh, I remember it was a hot day, so I brought drinks for Charlene's parents to drink with, with ice. And I thought, okay, you know, hopefully that gets me in their good graces. You know, I, I remember you know, Whoopi Goldberg was the convocation speaker. If you know who Whoopi Goldberg is, the actress 
actress, the, the comedian, and I remember all that, but the most memorable thing I remember of that graduation weekend was this. After the ceremony was over, I remember we're back in Charlene's dorm room on campus, and it's just the two of us. And you know, Charlene, she's now packing up all of her stuff in her room. She's sending a lot of it to New York where there's a job waiting for her. And so we're packing up all the stuff. And then in the middle of that afternoon, because I guess it had been a long weekend, it had been a long day, she just kind of sat down on the floor, and then she fell, lied down on the floor, and she just took a nap. And at that point, I kept on packing a little bit. Then I was you know what? That looks really good. I think I might take a nap too. And I, and I, and I lay down beside her. But before I took a nap, I just started to think back to the fight in me and thinking to myself, when am I finally going to propose to this girl? Like, when do I know? What am I missing? Is there a feeling that I'm supposed to wait for? Is there a sign that I'm supposed to wait for? What's, supposed, what's wrong? What's missing? There was this fight in me that was struggling. Should I? Should I not? And so I gave it to God. I started to pray to God. I remember I'm, I'm lying on my back and I'm talking to God. I'm saying, God, like, how do I know when? What do I do? And for some reason, you know, and for some reason, as I, as I put out the question to God, and I'm not saying audibly, I didn't want to wake up Charlene, but I'm just in my heart, I'm just praying at God, like, what do you want me to do? For, for some reason, I sensed in that moment, the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and say, if you marry this girl, I will definitely bless you. If you marry this girl, I will definitely bless you. Notice what God didn't say. God didn't say, JB, she is the one. Marry her or go to hell. Right? She, no, 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 she didn't say that. It's because God gives us the freedom to choose. God gives us the freedom to make our own choices. And so if it's not one person, it could be another person. It's true. But he did say this. If you marry this one, I will definitely bless you. And I, 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 could, I, I could hear it and sense it so clearly, so clearly that that fight that was in me, what, should I do it? Should I not? Should I do it? Should I not? When's the right time? I'm missing something. All that went away. And instead, in the place of that old fight in me, there was a new fight in me that was like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to marry this girl. And, you know, the next day, I was uh, you know, kind of panicking because our timing was really tight. The fact is this, is that I thought it would be a good idea to get Charlene's parents' blessing for their proposal before I asked Charlene. And so I thought, you know, I need to talk to them about, you know, surprising her about my dolphin plan and you know, my, my, all that stuff and, and get their okay on that. And so I thought I need to talk to them about it first. But when I'm going to talk to them, because the fact is that after that graduation weekend, the next day, we we're all going to take a plane from Boston back to Vancouver. When we land in Vancouver, pa- uh, Pastor Char, she wasn't Pastor Char then, but Charlene and her parents, they're going to take a cruise ship to Alaska for a seven-day cruise. I was not invited on that cruise. They, they just went on their own, and it was going to be going on their own. They're going to have seven days of relaxation on this cruise, and then they're going to come back from that cruise, and on that same day that they arrive, the, Charlene's parents are going to fly back to Taiwan. And that will be the last time I see them until God knows when. And so I thought to myself, oh my goodness, if there's any moment for me to talk to Charlene's parents, it needs to be sometime before they head off in the plane. And I think the only time is going to be on the plane back to Vancouver. How am I going to do this? And so here we are. We're on the plane to Vancouver now. And Charlene and I were sitting near the front of the plane. Charlene's parents are sitting near the back of the plane. And like, oh my goodness. How am I possibly going to, without Char knowing, talk to Charlene's mom and dad about this? Charlene would always say, if you're ever going to talk to my parents about anything, talk to my mom, not my dad. <laughs> talk to my mom first. My mom, will, my mom will deliver the message to my dad. And he'll decide whether or not to use the shotgun. And so, and so, and so it's okay. All right, I need to talk to Charlene's mom. Let me try that instead. So what I did was okay. I was like, God, let there be a chance for me to talk to Sir Charlene's mom somehow, some way. I don't know how. Without her noticing, without it being awkward, let me let there be a chance. And then I turn around, and all of a sudden I see Charlene's mom walking toward me. 
she's walking down the aisle, down the whole aisle of this long plane, and, and I can see there's something in her hand, and, like, and I think she wants to give it to me. So I, I get up from my seat, I unbuckle my seatbelt, I get out from my seat, and I, and I go and I reach out for what she's giving to me, and it's, oh, it's Charlene's passport. And I guess she wanted me to give Charlene's passport to Charlene. And, but as the handover is taking place, I'm like, Mrs. Way, can I please talk to you about something? Sometime on this plane, please. She didn't say anything, she was like, she just nodded. And then she went back to her seat. I, I gave the, oh, here's, here, here's your passport, Char. Oh, thank you, thank you. Two hours go by. And Charlene is fast asleep. Uh, she was sleeping a lot for some reason that weekend. It was a very tiring weekend. And I thought to myself, okay, what are we going to do now? I look back again, and Charlene's mom is now sitting in one of the back empty rows of the plane. And she's waiting for me. I'm like, she is a smart woman, man. And so I, I, I get out, out of my seat. I go back to the very back of the plane. It's an empty row. Charlene's mom is by the window. I sit beside her. And then I make my pitch. I'm like, uh, Mrs. Way, you, you look lovely today. And um, I, I just want to say that, you know, um, Charlene and I, we've been dating now for, uh, you know, about a year and a half. And uh, she's a wonderful girl. You've done a wonderful job. Yeah, wonderful job. Um, and I, I need to say this is that um, I really love your daughter. And she's the best thing that I think has ever happened to me. And I would be so overjoyed if I could have your blessing and Dr. Wei's blessing for her hand in marriage. And she looked at me as I'm saying it. She smiled. And then she started to talk in Mandarin. And I had no idea what she was saying. I don't speak any Mandarin. She started to talk at like you know, 100 words per second kind of rate. And I'm not really sure what she said, but I was like, okay, well, like, Mrs. Wade, let me just stop right One more thing I want to let you know is that I'm really hoping this, this can be a surprise because I've got this plan, you know, it involves dolphins and all that stuff. I, I'm hoping to, 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 to do that with her. Is that okay? And she smiled again, and she continued to speak to me in Mandarin, and she continued to go at 100 miles per hour, and, and, and it was something where she was smiling, so I thought that was good, so I started to smile, and I was nodding as well. Okay, okay great, One, wonderful. Wonderful, yes, yes, okay, Th thank you, Th thank you. And, and, and so I, I thought things were okay. I went back to my seat, and I thought, okay, I think, I think we're, we're getting somewhere. And uh, we, get, we land on, uh, you know, on, on Vancouver soil. Charlene has no idea what is going on. And then after we land, they get on a cruise ship. I wave goodbye to them. They're off on the cruise ship, and I don't expect to hear from them until a week later. Three days later, I get a call, and it's Charlene from the cruise ship. And she's saying, hi, hi, Jamie, how are you? Oh, I'm good, how's it going? How's it, how, like, how, how's it going on the cruise? Oh, it's good, how about you? Oh, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Hey, uh, and she said this, she said, JB, um, are you planning to propose to me? I'm like, uh, what gave you that idea? What, what do you mean? Oh, because my parents were talking to me and they said that you're planning to propose to me? I'm like, what, 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 what? What do you mean? Wait, 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 wait. Uh, uh, um, uh, well, why don't we talk about it when you get back? And um, so she gets back with her parent, with her parents, uh, and we meet in Central Park in Burnaby. <laughs> Just me and Char. And Char says to me, you know, this past weekend and past week on our cruise was not a very fun weekend because my parents were quite stressed about this idea of us getting engaged. I don't think they were expecting it at all. Uh, they like you, but I think this was a big surprise to them. And they, were, they wanted to communicate and say that, please, let's not make it a surprise. I'm like, no, duh, it's not a surprise anymore. 
Okay, it's not a surprise. I always wanted to be a surprise. I didn't want it to be a surprise for me, but, that, but that, 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 that's what it was. And she's like, okay, but, and they said this, if there, is that if you, we are really sure about getting engaged and getting married, then th- that's fine, but we need to do it the uh, Taiwanese culture way. And I'm like, what's that? And she said, okay, well, first, uh, there will be a meeting between you and my parents, and it will be a time of questioning. And after that, there will be a meeting between your parents and my parents and us with a couple witnesses where we'll have a meal. Uh, and then after that, you can propose. I'm like, okay, sure, let's do it. And so we meet in this sushi bar somewhere in Vancouver. And uh, we're supposed to have this interrogation, I mean questioning. And, and this questioning is taking place where... Um, you know, uh, Dr. Wei, uh, Charlene's dad, is saying all these things in Mandarin that I have no idea what he's saying. And, uh, and so there was the, basically the questioning ended there <laughs> because I had no idea what he was saying. He had no idea what I was saying. Uh, and so the questioning became just eating sushi, which was great. Praise God. And then we moved on to the, f- uh, the, the, the dinner. And there, I remember, you know, it was my parents are there, Charlene's parents are there, my sister's there. Uh, you know, we've got a couple witnesses there. Um, it's a Chinese restaurant. And I can remember it was the most stressful dinner of my life. It was one where I'm sweating more than I sweat on the stage. It was one where, you know, they kept on serving, you know, full plates of food to us. But then if you looked at my seat, I, I had like row after row of untouched food. It looked like I was staring at an auditorium of uncooked or un, uh, untouched Chinese dishes because I just couldn't eat. I was so stressed. And then after that meal, we went back to our house and they said, okay, you can do it now. I'm like, propose now? Here? Like, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm like, uh... And I'm like, awkward. And so, and so what I did was, you know what I did is I said, okay, can, I, can I take Charlene upstairs to do this? And so I, I took Charlene upstairs, and we got onto the balcony. And there I finally got to do at least a little bit of a surprise. You know what happened? We didn't have three dolphins, but we had three of my close guy friends who there ha- they had guitars with them. And we sang Charlene a song that I'd written for her uh, called Lala, because I, I used to call her Lala. And it goes, la, 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 I love you, la, 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 I need you, you're my favorite star, baby, just the way you are. I think I could spend my whole life gazing at you, baby, God, could this be true, baby, I'm so thankful I got you. Give God a big hand for that, all right, praise God. Just picture that with a lot more nervousness on that day and like totally out of tune because I was just totally nervous. But then at the end of that song, I got on one knee. I got out that jewelry box that had been with me for six months. I finally opened that box and said, Char, I love you. Would you marry me? And she said, yes. And on that day, we came down from that balcony. They said, oh, so how did it go? And I was like, and they wanted us to formally announce it. I said, okay, so, uh, so I proposed. And she said, yes. And then Charlene's parents they finally, for the first time, they clapped. And my parents, they clapped as well. And we had mango cake to celebrate our proposal. Can we give God a big hand for that as well? Woo! Oh. So long story short, or maybe long story just made a little longer, the fact is this, is that our engagement did not happen the way that I was dreaming of. Uh, it was not the dream romantic surprise that I was hoping for it to be, but that's okay. Because the goal at the end of the day was not to have a super romantic proposal. The goal was to be together in the end. And, you know, just a few uh, months later, we got married. And can I uh, ask you this question? Did God bless me when I took that step of faith? 
He absolutely, yes, he absolutely did. Far beyond all I could ask for or imagine, when I took that step of faith, I was pretty certain that what I was gaining was an incredible woman as a wife. But what I did not expect was that down the road that we would have two incredible kids, that we'd have this incredible church that we can call our family called Thrive. None of these things would have happened had we not taken that step of faith. And, you know, I've learned a number of lessons about faith from that experience. And I'd like to share them with you. You can even write them down if you find it helpful. Number one is this. Faith is fighting for what you believe is yours, even when there are obstacles in the way. Faith is fighting for what you believe is yours, even when there are obstacles in the way. See, that's the reason why Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. It's because in the process of chasing after everything that God has made for you, there will be obstacles, there will be challenges, there will be disappointments, there will be setbacks that you face along the way. But when you've got faith, faith says, even if I get knocked down, I'm going to get up again. Even if I get beat up doing so, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep on fighting for what I believe God is calling me to do, and I'm going to do it with faith. Amen. And so that's what faith is. Faith is a fight. That's why Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. The second lesson I learned about faith from that experience is this, is that before you can really fight for something that is outside of you, you need to settle the fight that is inside of you. See, what do I mean by that? Is that in my case, before I could fight for Charlene and propose to her and really go after her and go through every hurdle it took, every interrogation, every questioning, every awkward ceremony, everything, before I could go through any of that and fight for her on the outside, there was a fight in me that needed to be settled first. And that fight in me, as long as that fight existed, I would never end up fighting for her until I settled that fight in me. And my question for you today is this, is there a fight in you that is keeping you from fighting from something else? Is there a fight in you, a struggle in you, a battle in you that causes you to be paralyzed because you're constantly, should I do it, should I not? Should I do it, should I not? Is this right or is this wrong? Is this best or is it not? And, and, and you're just kind of like, what, what, is, what, what am I supposed to do? Because there's a fight in you. Earlier you sang the song that's, that's beautiful. It talks about how seems like all I could see was the struggle. Do you remember that song? Seems like all I could see was a struggle. That was really high, but it seems like all I could see was a struggle. The fact is this, is that for some of us, sometimes all we see is the struggle. All we see is the fight in us. And because we're constantly battling ourselves, we can't fight for anything else. We can't fight for anyone else. And as a result, we're just stuck in this fight. And I'm here to tell you today is that before you can really fight for that dream, before you can really fight for that marriage, before you can really fight for that business, before you can really fight for that thing that you believe God has called you to, you need to settle the fight in you first. Amen. And it's no wonder the Bible will often warn about having a divided heart. What is a divided heart? A divided heart is a heart that is struggling on the inside with itself. It's like it's double-minded. James, the book of James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. In other words, when you have a fight going on inside of you that hasn't been resolved, you can't fight for anything else. And so you got to find a way to settle the fight in you so you can fight for the thing that's outside of you. Does that make sense? See, here's the thing. How do you settle the fight that's in you? Would you write this down? Write this down. To settle the fight in you, you need to hear the word of God and believe it. To settle the fight in you, you need to hear the word of God and believe it. See, for six months, I struggled with a fight in me where I didn't know what to do. Should I do it? Should I not? Is this best? Is it not? And I kept on struggling with that fight in me until one day I asked this Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you think? And he tells me, if you marry her, I will definitely bless you. 
And see, upon hearing God's word and believing God's word, it changed everything for me. All of a sudden, the fight in me that I struggled with for six months, all of a sudden, that fight was settled, and in its place, there was a new fight in me that was saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this girl. Amen. And see, that's what happens. When you settle the fight inside you, you can then fight for the thing that's outside of you. And if you want to settle the fight that's inside of you, how do you do it? It's by hearing and believing the word of God. And you're going to find this. When you hear and believe the word of God, you're going to face times when you struggle. You're going to face times when there's doubt. You're going to face times when things don't go the way you planned. And in those times when I faced that, I would just hang on to that promise that God spoke to my heart. If you marry this girl, you will definitely be blessed. And it all began because I heard God's word and I believed it. Similarly for you. Maybe you're in a situation today where you're trying to figure out your future and there's a struggle inside you about what to do. You need to settle the fight in you by hearing the word of God and believing it for yourself. How do you hear the word of God and believe it? Write this down. To hear God's spoken word into your heart, you need to understand God's heart. You know, Jesus once said this. Jesus once said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, if you've got someone who's speaking really hurtful words. It's because there's pain in their heart. Hurt people hurt people. You know, when, when you got someone who's speaking really encouraging words, it's because they've got a happy heart on the inside. It's because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what happens for you and for me, but you know what happens? is that it happens for God as well. God speaks from the heart. And see, if you want to understand or you want to hear the voice of God in your life, you need to understand God's heart. How do you understand God's heart? Write this next one down. To understand God's heart, you need to read God's written word. You need to read God's written word. See, the Bible is God's written word to us. The Bible is not just a list of do's and don'ts. The Bible is God's love letter to you and to me. And he gave it to us so that we would know his heart, he, that we would know his love for us. And see, when you understand and you read and you study and you meditate upon the word of God, then you'll start to understand God's heart. And when you understand God's heart, then you're able to hear God's voice. And when you hear God's voice and believe it, then the fight inside of you is settled. And when the fight inside of you is settled, you're now able to fight for any dream that God places in you because the fight in you is now a new fight in you. Come on, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. Amen. So do you see how it's a process? You see how one connects with the other? Let's recap it. If you want to fight for everything that God has for you, first, you need to settle the fight that's inside you. If you want to settle the fight that's inside you, you need to hear the word of God and believe it. If you want to hear the word of God, you need to understand God's heart first. If you want to understand God's heart, you need to get into the word of God, the Bible, to understand his heart. When you understand his heart, you hear his voice. When you hear his voice, the, 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 the fight is settled. When the fight is settled, you're able to fight for anything you need. Amen. That's how it works. And that's why this summer, if you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, if you're trying to figure out that next step, if there's anything that you do this coming summer, let it be that you get into the Word of God. Let it be that you make the Word of God your priority. And, and what you want to do is you want to get into the Word of God, meditate in the Word of God, apply the Word of God, live the Word of God, make the Word of God a part of your life like never before. When you do that, you understand his heart. When you understand his heart, you're going to hear his voice. When you hear his voice, you're going to have certainty about that fight that's in you. When you have certainty about that fight's in you, you can fight for whatever else it is that you need. Write this down. Faith is hearing and believing the promise of God's Word, regardless 
of the circumstances around you and regardless of how you feel. See, that brings me to the second story that I'm going to share with you about my faith journey today, where faith felt like a fight. Let me tell you one more story. See, how many of us know that the church is not a building? True neighbors say, the church is not a building. You know, sometimes we say it for short. Oh, yeah, I'll meet you at church. What means we meet at the building. But the fact is that the church is not the building. The church is just a shell. The, the building is just a shell. The building is just a house. The, the building is just a venue. But the church is the people. Amen. The church is the community of people who worship Jesus. We are the church. If this was a convertible room with no roof, we're still the church. If there's no walls around this, we're still the church. Amen. To your neighbor and say, we are the church. And see, how many of you guys know this, is that just as every family needs a home to live in, a church needs a home as well, because a church is a family. And for Thrive Church, for this family, I can say this, for the past 12 years, since the very time we started 12 years ago, we've had many homes. Some of you guys have never seen these homes, because you joined us uh, much after. But let me tell you, our first home was where? It was in my parents' basement. It was Charlene, myself, uh, then eventually it was two other people, then three other people, then five other people. Eventually we moved to a, 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 another house. Someone graciously opened up for us, got more people coming to that. Then we moved to another house, got more people coming to that. Eventually we ended up in a condo complex right by Lansdowne called Lions Park. Uh, and some of you guys, I think, even live there. It's, it's this Lions Park complex right beside Kwantlen University where there's an amenities clubhouse where people can play pool and swim in the pool and all that stuff. And uh, I remember that was the next place. That was our next home for Thrive Church where we would set up chairs in front of the pool table. I would, I would preach in front of a pool table. And after that, we'd have a hot tub in the back where we would baptize people in the hot tub. That was, that was the first time we baptized people. It was either in a hot tub or in a kiddie pool that we'd inflate. And that was how we started church back then, 12, 11 years ago. Eventually, we moved out of that place. We went to Salvation Army on Gilbert Road. Uh, we started meeting on Saturday nights. We became a Saturday night church for the longest time. A couple years later, we moved here, had an opportunity to move right here into Cedar Bridge Way. And we had this stint in East Richmond. We, that didn't work out well, so we came right back. And we stayed here for longer. And about 2012, 2013, while we're doing church here, all of a sudden, we heard news that the company that owns this entire complex, this entire building, wanted to tear it down and build, just like everyone else is building around us, a high-rise apartment, a high-rise condo. And all the churches that were meeting in this venue said, okay, we've got to find a new venue. We've got to find a new venue. And so we started looking for different new venues. But then in the midst of that process, in the midst of that struggle, you know what? I would be praying to God. And for some reason, every time I prayed to God, I'd sense God say, fight for this property. Fight for this venue. For some reason, no matter how much I would like pray about it, I would all get, get the same sense. Fight for this venue. But there was a problem. The fact is this. I knew that the landlord wanted to take, uh, to get rid of this building and build something new. And uh, didn't, the plans didn't involve any church. I knew also that if we were to get into a lease, we would not be able to afford the rent. The rent would be way, mu way too much for our monthly offerings. And, and we just wouldn't have enough for that. We were all on top of that. We just hired our new first, very first full-time staff. And when we were busy taking care of that, uh, there was another business that wanted to come in and take over this venue. It was a tea shop. That, you know, imagine serving tea here in this place. That was their business. Um, and, and so with all that in mind, I was like, should we go for this or not? And you know, I still called the landlord because God said, fight for this property. I called and I said, okay, we are interested in renting this place. Is that okay? And we, there was a lot of back and forth, and eventually I'm staring at a piece of paper that would say that for the next five years, we will be here at this venue, but at any time the landlord could take this venue away with notice of one year. And it was like, you know what? Okay, what do we want to do? God, should we do it? God, what do we do? 
fight for this property, JB. And so I signed. We went into this next year. This is back in 2014. This is July 2014. And it was a scary time because we didn't have enough offerings to cover the rent. We had savings, but we didn't want to dip into savings. We had probably enough savings for a couple years, but we didn't want to dip into that. We wanted, we wanted to kind of be able to, to sustain it every month, but we couldn't do that. We wouldn't have the funds for that. We had a full-time staff that we had to pay as well, and we didn't have funds for that either. And so what ended up happening was just, we just went in faith, and we believed that because God said, fight for this property, that somehow he's going to provide. And so we went in, and within that first year, praise God, the offerings in our church began to increase to come cover not just the rent, not just the full-time salary, but more than that as well. Give God a big, big hand for that right now. Amen. So much so that within a year and a half after that, we were able to hire a couple more staff. So much so that within a couple years after that, we were able to expand to a new place called our Kids Center. And since taking that step five years ago, since taking that step of faith five years ago, guess what? Our church has tripled in size. And our church has seen more people come to know Jesus Christ in these past five years than any time period before that. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. There's more in you than that. Come on, shout to God in this place. And see, why do I mention that story? It's to let you know that these past 12 years together as a church, as Thrive Church, it has been a faith journey. And there have been a number of lessons we've learned together as a church each time we've taken a step of faith. But here are just a couple lessons I'll share with you today that you can write down that hopefully will edify you as well. Number one is this, faith. What is faith? Faith is taking a thoughtful risk for God's glory because you believe the payoff is worth the risk. That's what faith is. See, some people talk, oh, blind faith. Faith is always blind. I know it's not. Faith is not always blind. See, faith that pleases God is not blind. God-pleasing faith is taking a thoughtful risk. It's taking a careful risk. It's looking at the options you have available and coming up by God's grace with prayer, with wisdom, consulting people, getting good advice, and making the best decision you can based on those options. That's what faith is, pleasing faith to God. What is faith? Faith is when you look at all the evidence that's in front of you and you make the best decision you can based on the evidence. You reach the best conclusion that you can based on the evidence. That is God-pleasing faith. What is God-pleasing faith? God-pleasing faith is where you take a risk carefully, thoughtfully, because you know it's worth the risk if there's a payoff that way. Amen. Amen. And in fact, they say that you spell faith by spelling it with four letters. R-I-S-K. Is that there is no faith without risk. There is no faith without risk. In fact, write this next one down. One of the other lessons that we learned over the past 12 years as a church is that God rewards faith. God loves to move in an atmosphere of faith. In fact, well, I'd like to say it this way. God loves to bless those who risk in faith. We've experienced that over and over again here at Thrive Church, is that whenever we took a careful, thoughtful, thought-out, planned step of faith, it was a risk, but God tends to bless it. When we move from Saturday night to Sunday mornings, when we went from, you know, bubble tea drinking to morning tea drinking, when we went from Saturday nights to Sunday mornings, when we went from, you know, like everyone is like, is is like under the age of 20, between ages of maybe 13 and 24 to now a whole wide range. You know what happened? It was a step of faith. But we believed that we could reach more people in the city by making that step of faith, and we did, and we do. Praise God. When we took on the lease and we couldn't afford the rent, that was a step of faith. But after we took 
took the step of faith, as we took the step of faith, we believe it is worth the risk. We've calculated it, we believe it, and we believe God is with us. He said, fight for this property, and as a result, God provided. When we were hiring our first full-time staff, even though we didn't have the funds for the full-time staff, we said, you know, we need a first, a full, our, our very first full-time staff. It's, it's, we've gotten to that point. We're just going to trust that God's going to provide. We took a step of faith, and God provided there. When we moved to multiple services on a Sunday, just over, a, what was it, a year and a half ago, it was a step of faith. But was it worth that step of faith? We wouldn't be here in our 1130 service without that step of faith. And I'm so glad we made that step of faith. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. And we've seen God over and over. Each time we've taken a step of faith, so often he blesses it. And have there been times when we've taken a risk and it flopped? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there have been. So many to count, but the fact is this, in those times when we learned, uh, when, we, when we took a risk and it didn't quite go the way we wanted, at least we calculated the loss, at least we saw, okay, you know what, it's a lesson to be learned, and those lessons served us later on to be successful later, amen? So don't fear failure. Don't fear disappointment. Don't fear making a mistake. Be careful, be thoughtful, but at the end of the day, you need to move in faith. Have there been times when we uh, have you know, gone in faith and things didn't turn out the way we planned? Yes, there have, but that's okay. It's part of the learning process. You know, I tend to be a, a careful person myself, but nowadays, because we've learned that God rewards faith and God blesses us when we move in faith, One of the big questions, one of the most important questions I'll ask myself nowadays, even as a very careful person, is I'll ask, what big risk are we as a church going to take this year for God's glory? That's one of the big questions that I'll ask myself nowadays. And not in a thoughtless, cavalier, reckless, spontaneous, risk-taking kind of way just for the heck of it because we're thrill-seekers. No, it's because we believe God wants to do so much greater things in our midst and through us. And so what risks can we take to get there? And write this down is this, is that you can't move forward in your faith journey without moving in faith. You can't move forward unless you move in faith. And so what the question for you here this morning is this, what is one step of faith that God is wanting you to take in this season of your life? Maybe in your career, maybe in your relationships, maybe in some other aspect of your life that you care about. See, you can't move forward in that journey of faith without stepping out in faith. That's why it's called a faith journey. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. What does it say? Read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, we can't please God. But with faith, we can do amazing things that put a, God, put a smile on God's face. And see, here's the thing. That brings me to our big announcement today. First, I want to start with some sad news. Uh, the sad news is this. Um, we've been so incredibly blessed these past two years to have that one unit in the corner of this building, which we've called the Kids Center. Haven't we blessed to be there? Have you been there before? It's, a, it's, it's been a great space for our kids. We've used it for our prayer meetings. We've used it for TDS2 throughout deception school. You know, we've been using it for all sorts of things. It's been such a great blessing to us. We got an incredible deal from our landlord to use it, but it was on a month-to-month basis such that any time they could tell us they want to take it back, they can take it back. Well, we received notice uh, just recently that they need to take that space back now. Everyone say, aw, aw. Yeah, it's true. We're going to be losing that space. Uh, and uh, eventually, uh, actually quite soon, we're going to be having to let go of the space. In fact, this today is the last Sunday we're going to have in that space together. We're losing Unit 150, that current kids' center. But there's some good news. And the good news is this. 
is that though we're losing that corner unit right beside the very, uh, uh, the, 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 I won't say anything, uh, but uh, the very blessed uh, bottle b depot uh, place right there, okay, uh, the, 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 you know, they, they love to worship in other ways, that's great, uh, uh, is that uh, we will have, um, we will have uh, something I think you're going to find very exciting. Instead of the corner unit at the corner of this building, uh, we have taken over the unit right next door to us. Amen. Amen. And that is going to be our new kids center. And so, come on, give God a big, big hand here right now. And so, though we're losing that corner unit, we are gaining an even better unit. We've got, it's the same size, but it's right next door, which means that, you know, it's all can be, it can, it can connect here, and, and we've got right next door our kids now, and, and this is going to be our new kids center. We're right now in the process of renovating it, and this, this is going to take a number of months, and so we're hoping to have it ready for the fall. In the meantime, the kids are, are going to have this really cool program at the Richmond Oval that they're going to be inviting their friends to. It's going to be awesome throughout the whole summer, and that they're going to come back, and the kids center is planned to be be ready and, and and awesome for them. Uh, I, you know, one thing I'm looking for, I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to extra washrooms. Amen. <laughs> we are really blessed as a church because we have had the privilege of all, every single one of us, sharing one toilet and one washroom. I feel somewhat, I don't know, very very close to you guys in this really weird way for some reason. That's the fact is that we've been using one washroom for all of us this whole time. But hopefully, with this new addition to our venue, we're gonna have more washrooms for everyone to use. Uh, plenty of facilities for the kids. Can we give God a big big hand one more time for all of that God's provided? <laughs> Praise God. And, you know, over the past little while, because many of you guys know that our, our lease uh, had been one where at any time the landlord could say, okay, you got to be out of here by one year. Um, and some of you have, oh, are we moving? Are we moving? Are we moving? Well, I'm here to report to you as well that uh, we just recently, just last week, we signed a, a, a lease, a brand new lease for multiple years with our landlord to stay here in this unit, in this center, along with our next door. And so praise God, the best really is yet to come. We're looking forward to a number of more years here at the Thrive Center. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Amen. Now, is this, a step for, is this a step of faith for us? It's a step of faith for us. Because how many of you guys know that these things don't come free? Uh, we will be paying uh, you know, significantly more rent uh, in the near future. Uh, it's something where it's a step of faith for us, but we believe that with all these things, God is with us, and that when we step out in faith, we're going to see God do even greater things in our midst. If you believe us, say amen. And with that in mind, we appreciate your prayers. With that in mind, we appreciate your commitment. We thank you so much for your generosity up to this point. I, and, and I want to encourage you, all of us, every single one of us, including, including myself, it's time to step out in faith. It's time to fight the good fight of the faith. It's time to fight for our church and to believe that God has even greater things that he wants to do in and through Thrive Church to love the people in the city, to reach people in the city for Jesus and around the world. If we want to do that, it's about fighting the good fight of the faith. It's about praying. It's about giving. It's about being generous. And with that in mind, I'll turn you to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. I mean, it's kind of for fun, but it's kind of not as well. Let's read this together. What does it say? It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Would you turn to and say, be generous and willing to share? 
See, every single one of us, Paul tells to Timothy, command all the rich people in your church to be generous and willing to share. You know who the rich people in this church are here? They're right here. It's you. We live in the top one percentile of people who are blessed in this world financially, materially. And so we have everything it takes. When we seek God's kingdom first, when we're generous with what we were given because God was first generous with us, with us he's going to build his church through us in even greater ways. Amen? Amen. With that in mind, we're going to be giving you guys opportunities to give. We do that every single Sunday. Encourage you to be generous, to sow into the kingdom of God, and let's believe God has even more great things, even greater things he wants to do in and through us. Come on, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. Amen. Read with me that last verse, verse 19. What does it say? In this way. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let me say this with one good foot today. And I say this because it's important. Let me tell you today. Church, it's time to fight the good fight of the faith. The Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, if we will fight the good fight of the faith, we will take hold of the life that is truly life. We won't settle for anything less than what God has planned for you and for me and for Thrive Church. And so in this coming season together, as we move into a new chapter in our church's history, let's believe that as we seek God's kingdom first, he will add what? He will add everything we need. Can we give God a big, big hand here in this place right now?